Welcome to Paint Ed. PCA provides painting contractors with connections they need to grow their business. To find out more and to become a member, go to PCAPaintEd.org. Find more great content like this on PCA Overdrive. A subscription to the platform is included with membership. For all you non-members out there, sign up for our free trial. PCA Overdrive is available on the Apple Store and Google Play. In today's podcast, we feature an episode from PaintEd with Torlando. In this episode, Torlando talks with Chris Hall, VP of Sales for Renovia, about the challenge and strategy of geographic expansion and how to make partnerships on the ground in key markets where you intend to expand. This episode is brought to you by 3M and Federated Insurance. Hey everybody, welcome to Paint Ed. My name is Torlando, your host. I'm super glad to be here today. Um, the the abundance of opportunity that we have in the paint indus- industry today is just crazy, and uh, I I can't tell you um, you know how how much I've heard from people that uh, the workload is overwhelming. I was uh, the other day I got this uh, you know I got I got kind of a lead and and uh, it was out of state and and. Um, I got to thinking about this this idea of people being able to work out of state, and there's there's all of this um, there are all these new tools, these virtual tools that we can that we can start to use and, and implement in in the business, and uh, and so I wanted to have a conversation about this. I think that there are some folks out there who have aspirations. They have big aspirations. You know, they're following the the Grant Cardone thing of 10x and and uh, and they're dreaming big, and you should dream big. Y- you you gotta, you know, you got one shot. So why not dream big? And so I wanted to bring on uh, a guest who who is uh, who is performing big. And so I, I'm bringing on Chris Hall from from Renovia, based out of Indianapolis. Their commercial company, Multi State. So very exciting conversation that we're going to have today. Uh, before I get there, I want to let you know that. Uh, the tool findapainter.org is uh, is available. It's a way to get found. If you're a PCA member, you can have a profile on there. You automatically have a profile on there. It will. It is a tool that you can use to book appointments right on your calendar. Check it out. Uh, it gets traffic. Okay, it's a good thing to be on. If you want to watch more episodes from uh, from the Paint Ed. Go down to PCA Overdrive, PaintEd.org, or uh, I'm sorry, uh, PCAPaintEd.org, and uh, download the app. It's $5.99 a month for uh, non-members. If you're a member of the PCA, it's free. It's got 400 hours of video content. You'll see all the episodes there. Um, Great, great resource that we have. So here's the deal. Uh, We want to grow our business. We want to grow. That's that's a fact. And it's become clear that especially now that there is an abundance of opportunity. The thing that is halting us is probably the labor, uh, but the abundance is there. The ability to grow is there. And I know, like I said, there are guys out there, there are gals out there who have major goals. You wanna you wanna build that company up. You wanna you wanna expand. You wanna grow, and there's there's hot debate about whether to do it, how to do it. 
Uh, but in order to even think about that, we just got to start talking to people who who have done it. And uh, and so that's why that's why I brought on I'm bringing it on uh, Chris Hall to the show. Um, the topic today we're going to be talking about is how to scale your sales operations into multiple states. So let me go ahead and bring on Chris Hall. Hey, Chris, how's it going? Welcome to Paint Ed. Hey, Torlando. Thanks for having me. It's going well. Uh, appreciate you bringing me on. Yeah, yeah, for sure. So uh, so you and I are, are in the same state. We're not so far from each other. I'm down in Bloomington. Uh, go Hoosiers. You are up in Indianapolis. Um, have you been there for a while? How long have you been with Renovia? Yeah, uh, so I started here. It was 10 years ago in April, so I guess uh, a decade. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and originally born and bred uh, in Indiana, and so yes, go Hoosiers, absolutely. And uh, been with been with Renovia for the past ten years, and have experienced a lot, seen a lot, and uh, just excited to kind of share a little bit about my story today. Yeah, that's awesome. So, so give us a little context as to like, uh, you know, where where Renovia started, who you guys service, and um, and you know, I, I laid out that you are multi-state at this point. I want to know the history of how that came to be. Yeah, so uh, originally started here in the Indianapolis area, uh, painting residential houses, right? And I think a lot of contractors probably get their start uh, in that same regard. And then they start to kind of sniff out commercial and see that there's obviously a, a larger you know, audience and, and bigger piece of the pie that they could go grab. And, and we realized that. Uh, we yeah. also realized that uh, you can't paint all year round <laughs> in Indiana. Mm. Mm -hmm. um, and so it's just driven us to make decisions of how we want to scale the business. We've got to get south. Um, and so if you kind of fast forward a little bit, uh, we opened our Nashville, Tennessee office in 2013. Mm -hmm. Fast forward from there, head even further south and went into Tampa, Florida um, in 2017. Um, and then we had a, just a brilliant idea to open an office in the middle of the pandemic and, and COVID and, uh, and Myrtle yeah. Beach. So, uh, our fourth office was in Myrtle, and then uh, just here recently announced, uh, starting at the at the beginning of 2022, uh, we'll have operations there locally in Dallas, Texas. Okay, okay, so so massive scale, and and just in terms of the speed of your your growth, what kind of like percentages are we seeing year over year? Yeah, uh, so uh, I would say this year specifically, maybe it's a bit of a, an anomaly, but. Um, the size of our business is most likely going going to double. Um, and so prior to that, we, we had hit about a uh, probably a, a three year plateau, if you will. Mm -hmm. uh, and I don't necessarily think that that was 100 percent due to economic you know, factors, external factors. But um, I think we've made some changes operationally speaking, both on the sales and the production side which has created a lot of efficiencies for us. And I think that's kind of why we're here today to talk about yeah. some of those specific items. Yeah, for sure. Um, yeah, I want to, I want to talk specifically about scaling the the sales operation. Cause I, you know, I, the, the thing with paint operation, it's obvious, you know, you have to have painters, uh, you have to, you know, you have to have teams that can go do the work. Uh, that's a huge can of worms. That's also not your area. You're the VP of sales. Um, so, you know, assuming that you, you've got an, a body and an organization that is going to focus on recruiting those uh, those painters. 
um, now we got to think about, well, how are we going to, how are we going to keep those folks busy and how do you scale a, a sales operation that is, uh, that is remote, that is, you know, in, in multiple locations and, and how do you, uh, how do you keep that organized? How do you, how do you know how to, uh, focus them, you know, train them, you know, there's so many questions that I have. So, so let's just start with the basics of your opening in you said in Texas, mm -hmm. yep. which city was it? Dallas. Dallas. So you're opening in Dallas, Texas. What was your first move and why did you, how did you decide Dallas and what is your first, what is your first play? Uh, I will, and I will answer that, but I want to go back to just one other thing uh, that you had said. And I think even in some of our uh, previous conversations, you've continued to use this word abundance. It's so funny that you say that to Orlando because like our holy grail, kind of our, our top three from a mindset mm -hmm. standpoint when it comes to our sales team is abundance, intent, and detachment. And so we try to channel what that means on every single interaction with not only a customer, uh, but an internal teammate too. So real quickly, abundance, obviously, hey, there's a lot out there. We don't have a scarce, scarcity mindset. We yeah. live with a 24-hour rule. And at the same time, we've got to channel the right intent when we're engaging with the customer. We've got to detach from the outcome. So those are kind of the three holy grail for us from a sales sales team standpoint. That's how I we see. operate our, our DNA. So that's interesting. It, yeah, sorry. Um, yeah. Real quick, though, can you can you explain detaching from the outcome? That's uh, easy. So take you know, we don't even need to talk about painting. Uh, you can insert any industry is that as a sales rep or even a sales leader in heck, I would just say a human being, we get uh, attached to certain outcomes that we're desiring. And so if you get so fixated on what it is that you want, you may miss things that are passing you by. And so that's where it kind of goes back hand in hand with detachment and abundance that there's a lot out there. Uh, we mm -hmm. teach our team the 24 hour rule. You got 24 hours to celebrate and you got 24 hours to hang your head. And the fact of the matter is, is that we mm. never lose, we, we always learn. And so there's, there's a lot of like principles and theories that we've actually made tactical and behaviors for our sales team to make sure that's kind of it's repeatable it's not just feelings uh it's backed up with a kind of a factual process that we that we orchestrate with our team yeah yeah for sure that's awesome okay so so again let's go let's go to the dallas you're you're you know what's your first play yeah market market research market analysis i think that um in a lot of scenarios obviously you've got to do your due diligence in terms of understanding the landscape of what a specific market entails. And, and I think that starts from, you know, demographics to uh, existing customers that are already located in that area that you're servicing. Mm -hmm. um, also, do they make decisions differently? Um, what about the painting season and or painting cycle? Uh, is, is the regional area expanding or contracting? So is there a lot of new population or growth that's coming into the area? Mm -hmm. And even as a commercial contractor, you know, uh, only working with B2B companies, we still pay attention to the residential new home sales market. And it's right. important because that's going to be a driving factor as, you know, as it relates to every other industry that's involved and some of the, you know, the jobs that are going to be available uh, with those companies that in turn most likely will need their properties or buildings painted at some point in time. Yeah. So, so that, that aspect of the first step of, of really trying to understand the market, what is the actual opportunity? Um, you know, how much, how many of your, your, your target buyers are in there that you got to know, you got to know what the nut is, right? You got to yeah. know, 
those things. So how do you organize um, that information and what do you do with it once you get it? Like, how do you gather it? How do you organize it? What do you do with it? It's, it's important uh, to kind of confirm what that specific uh, data set looks like. And a lot of times, too, it's, it's like, man, there's, there's a lot of information or a lot of research that you can do. And you might be a little over dependent on that information, it can, it can kind of like paralyze your ability to think or see clearly. So mm-hmm. it, listen, I, you know, I've not been in the business for 20 some 30 some years, but it comes a time where you have to trust your gut and then trust uh, your experience and what the market is telling you as well as some of your existing vendors, suppliers or customers. And look, uh, I, I can't tell you that we sat for years and years and years of sifting through data um, and trends and analysis on why De- Dallas, Texas was a great market. Uh, we were already doing business in Texas. And so yeah. we thought from an efficiency standpoint, which kind of coincides with that preceding sales and marketing playbook from an efficiency standpoint, how does this help operationally? And then is there any type of fin- financial component in a playbook that we can execute with that? And lo and behold, um, it, all, it all makes sense, right? So that's what we're going to do or what we identify when we think about a new market. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So, so then, so after that, you've identified the market, then what is the play there? You said, you said you have, in this case, you had customers in that area. Um, and so you're probably, you know, feeding into them and trying to, you know, leverage that relationship, uh, all that, but what is, what is the second play? So we, we talk a lot about kind of, a, a jobs to be done or a buyer persona. And so you've got to think and understand from a sales standpoint, you need to be a subject matter expert and in the industry in which you're operating. So I know we've got a lot of listeners, a lot of folks that maybe play in different industries as it relates to the commercial world. And it's incredibly important that you speak to whether it's like a property manager for an apartment complex um, or a property manager for an industrial warehouse that mm-hmm. you're talking the same language, because while their titles may be the same, the core functionality of their jobs uh, couldn't be uh, you know, diff- uh, more different than what they are. And so you, you've got to know the lingo. You've got to know the vocabulary associated with the industry. And and to me, that just demonstrates that you get it and you have yeah. sense of like um, understanding of what some of the challenges and pains that they experience daily and people resonate with that and they know, Oh, they, they get me right. They know, yeah. they know how I uh, struggle with these things uh, day in, day out. How would you, how would you approach a property manager for apartment complex versus a, a, a property manager for an industrial complex? A lot of times that industrial, uh, folk is, uh, they're not based there at the site. And so they're most of the times remote. Um, and so you've got to think that they're not dealing with just one property. Uh, mm-hmm. On the other instance, a property manager is typically based at an apartment community. They're actually on site mm-hmm. um, dealing with residents firsthand. Um, and so there's a little bit of a disconnect there that I would say with the industrial versus the, uh, the apartment side of the business in the sense that that on site manager is dealing with fires um, and emails and really probably upset residents every single day. Um, yeah. And, and so the difference being is that you've got to be able to empathize with them directly, know that you've got to meet them where they're at. And it's not going to be a sit down one hour meeting that you're going to be able to have with them. You're going to be able to drop off some information, engage with them in a quick high level, and then show them how you can orchestrate and remove some of their pains associated with managing the property, which they've got 
let's say it's 270 units. Well, guess what? They have 270 decision makers that they're working with or having to deal with on a daily mm-hmm. basis. Whereas your industrial uh, person is is only working with the tenant that's located in potentially, you know, a 500,000 square foot um, warehouse. Yeah. You mentioned empathy. How how important is empathy in the role of a of a sales rep? <laughs> uh, yeah, nice tee up there. Uh, incredibly important. I, I do think though that you shouldn't, um, I guess, disguise being sympathetic with being empathetic. And so sympathetic is feeling bad, but yet being empathetic is putting yourself in another person's shoes and. It's like the age old adage of never judge a man until you walk a mile in his shoes. And as a sales rep, it's critical uh, to your success. And you've got to be able to know when you should lean in and when you should lean out. And I think that's channeling both sides of the coin, both sides of the spectrum when it comes to being empathetic and being sympathetic. And at Renovia, we I think I've posted online before, but uh, we've got a kind of core 10 core traits of a, of a Renovia sales rep. And go figure. One of those is uh, being empathetic. Yeah. So, you know, those core traits, I think, are, are really critical. I mean, th- what's interesting here is, is you know, what we've, what we've talked about is so far is getting clear on the data set, you know, getting, um, you know, having that information at your disposal so that you know where to even begin. And then once you know where to begin, now you, you know, maybe you've, you've listed out, you know, all of the property managers and, in that area. And and so you have a list of people to target. And, and like you said, you're just with the property manager over the apartment complex, maybe you're just dropping in and saying, Hey, I want to, I just want to get on your radar and, uh, and, you know, understand how you go about, you know, tackling all this problem. Now with, with the apartment complex, uh, you know, they're, they need, painters (laughs) painters <laughs> you know there's just yeah. There's, yeah. it's not that uh, it's not that e- difficult i think to to get a proposal in front of them mm-hmm. that that might be that should probably be pretty easy you just have to show up and 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 you know you, you yeah you throw you throw breadcrumbs out there and then the, they're like well you paint oh yeah you know <laughs> getting the job is is different right getting the job is different and that that comes down to you know, there's an element of price, um, but you don't necessarily want to be the company that comes through and just underbids everybody because there's no end to that until you get to zero. Uh, how do you look at the connection between understanding your buyer persona and under and having a solid, um, I guess I want to say like, value set that you that you provide and instill in your team so that those two things connect. Yeah, and I think I could go a couple different ways with that. And I definitely want to speak to what I feel uh, just personally is is probably one of our you know most important, I guess, key performance indicators of why we have seen the success that we have. And it, it, it is culture. And I definitely will will hit on that for you. And I think it's important too. For other contractors that are that are listening in that um it can be done um but it's it's the you know peter drucker is culture eat strategy for breakfast and so you you have to be able to adapt to um what the market is telling you as well as what your teammates are telling you so that's important and i'll, I'll talk about culture in a second but you raise a good point uh to orlando in the sense that 
if price, quality, service are all equal, what is it that actually separates you? What, what, mm -hmm. what is, why is it that I'm selecting you other than you're the cheapest price? And so what we say, at least this is what we say at Renovia, is that anybody can paint your property 90% of the way. It's the remaining 10% that makes the difference. And so a lot of times contractors, right? We all know how to apply product. We all know the correct mm -hmm. knowledge. We know, like, we know. We know what the specification should be. We know what the appropriate prep work should be, et cetera, et cetera. The list is endless. It's the remaining 10% that'll separate you from everyone else. And so what is that 10%? Well, it's kind of, it's not our secret sauce, but it's left up for you to figure out in the sense that it's how you communicate, it's how you follow up, it's how you're consistent, it's how you're disciplined, it's how you do what you say you're going to do. And this is not rocket science. It's the sense that discipline equals freedom. And that's allowed mm -hmm. us to, to kind of grow the way that we have. Yeah. So, okay. So we, we've, uh, we've collected our data. We've, uh, we understand our buyers, um, and, and we've put together a list of culture traits that we want to have in a sales rep that's going to be in this area. How do you, how do you launch? How do you manage this operation? Like, where do you begin? I mean, it's like the, all that stuff is great. On, it's, it's, you write it down on a piece of paper, but then, you know, you're in Indianapolis, you're trying to get this going in Dallas. Okay. The sheet of paper is okay. Great. You got it. Yeah. Now what? Um, growing pains, <laughs> uh, uh, working work. Yeah. Just to be transparent and, and vulnerable. And I'm trying to, you know, be epitomize what that means and what that looks like you know, on your show. And, um, we've learned a lot. We've learned some hard lessons and that you know, transitioning culture into that office is, is number one. And so if we mm -hmm. don't have culture in that office, then our, everything else that we wrote down on paper and this amazing sales and marketing plan, like that's out the window. It doesn't really matter. Or the, yeah. the customers that we're targeting. Um, we've also done it through just like specific one-to-one -one coaching that we do bi-weekly. And so I know you're looking for tactics, right? You're looking for mm -hmm. yeah, definitely high-level theory. Um, so we, we do that through one-to-one, -one, um, bi-weekly and, and as a leader, you know, whether you're the business owner, you're a sales leader, it's one of the most important things that you should be doing with your team is connecting on either weekly or bi-weekly basis. And it's not always, Hey, how you doing from a KPI standpoint? It's, Hey, how are the, how's the wife? How's the kid? Yeah. Right. How's your husband? Like what's going on in your world? Because those things matter to people aside from the numbers that read on the scoreboard. Or, or the results that they're putting out. So that's another that's another key uh, area in terms of how we've leaned into that. But we've also designed kind of a hierarchy and a structure that we know that a specific manager can handle um, this many people and as a direct report, um, and they're gonna be able to oversee uh, the development and kind of the one-to-one -one coaching and counsel that we need to be able to get at a local level. Because look, you, I could, point up here, all these books that I have and things that I've read about how to lead from afar. It's mm -hmm. hard. I know it's really, yeah. really, really difficult. So, so I imagine that you, you know, so you look for, you look for a manager that's going to be over that territory. How big, how big are their territories generally? Uh, just from, from a, a state size standpoint, it's typically wherever that office is located, they're going to oversee that state. Okay. Okay. So they're going to oversee the state itself. And is the manager, do they, um, do they have, are their direct reports both 
the the sales team and the production team <laughs> that's that's kind of where we're we're set up uh that's not uh or i guess not the same as the rest of the industry per se um where we've got specialists that are doing specific roles um and you know they're sitting within their own function or department or silo mm -hmm. but that's probably what makes us a little bit different is that we do have a sales rep, we've got an estimator and we have a um, project manager. Oh, interesting. So there's, there's a sales rep, a, an estimator and a project manager. Those are three different roles. The sales rep is not the estimator. No, that's pretty different. Can you explain to me why you, you <laughs> went that route? Um, so if we're, yeah, we're talking about scale, right? Yeah. And we're talking about growth. Um, well, you can't be all things to all people. Um, so Jack of all master of none. And to us, we kind of just broke that down and said, look, if, if we know that sales reps typically have these character qualities and these traits, well, that's what we're going to hire. And that's the type of person we're going to hire an estimator typically has this type of characteristic and this, these types of qualities, that's what we're going to hire. And then vice versa for a project manager. And so I think that is. I wouldn't even say it's secret sauce. I mean, you can get it on our website. You can look at it too in terms of how we're structured. Yeah. Uh, but really taking that to heart to know that those functions of each individual job are so vastly different. I, I wouldn't want me, you know, out there PM in a job and I wouldn't want me estimating a job. That's not my skill set. That's not where I'm best utilized. And uh, we've really just taken that to heart and it's helped fuel some of our growth. Yeah. 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 Um, so, so they're not necessary. So are they, you said they're kind of like masters of their own domain. They're, they're siloed a little bit. Um, how do they work together? Who, who leads them? Is that, how does that work? Yeah. All, all good questions. Um, so how do they work together? Well, um, it's, we have lots and lots of handoffs and our internal communication sets the bar and really defines what our external communication or what our stakeholders, meaning our customers are really going to feel and mm -hmm. then line how our crews are going to feel because obviously they're customer facing hundred percent of the time without them, then we're nothing. And so yeah. if we can't get kind of this internal identification um, and the amoeba working in the one same direction, then how in the world is the customer going to feel when we step on one of their job sites? And a lot of times customers are like, look, I want to only want to talk to one person and they can. Uh, mm -hmm. once, they un once they understand that um, it doesn't matter if you talk to Chris Hall uh, or Brett Williams or Matt Rolson, we're all one and the same. Um, we may look different. We may speak a little bit different, but we're singing from the same songbook. And so we've got clear SOPs and processes that we follow from just mm -hmm. a standpoint to make sure that that is very precise and it allows us to do it in an efficient manner. So lots of handoffs internally, lots of communication internally, uh, but then we do have uh, kind of separated out sales sales leaders and then operations leaders because you think about the functionality of estimating um, and project manager that kind of they oversee or they they fall in line within the same department yeah yeah for sure so okay so those are three uh those three positions are uh you know overhead positions they're not they're not producing um how many painters do you need to sustain those three people and to then make enough profit for, you know, headquarters? <laughs> um, yeah. If you could, if you could figure that out, would you let me know? Um, okay. Would, <laughs> sorry. Um, a lot. Um, hmm. 
Yeah, a lot, hundreds, um, and 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 being able to partner with um, contract, you know, subcontractors um, that get us and and we get them. Um, and I, you know, I think or at least I feel when when somebody comes to work for us, speak crews specific, specifically, um, they're really buying into our overall process. So. Um, certainly they, they are in business to make money and we want to mm-hmm. be able to prop that up. Um, and we really take kind of an investment approach with, um, how we pay and, and how we, uh, insert ourselves from a training standpoint, competencies surrounding, uh, their kind of their financial playbook, um, and how they're reinvesting back into their business. Because I said it before to Orlando, like, look, I, my team or myself and my team and our estimators and our project managers, man, we could just do an amazing stand up killer job. Uh, but if we don't execute in the field, we're nothing. And so, yeah. um, our, you know, our contractors are hundred percent customer facing, which, uh, they're at the top of the list when it comes to an investment strategy. Yeah. And I, and I know that, uh, you know, and, and again, I get that you're, you're, I mean, you get, you're in the throes of it as, 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 as much as any contractor would be. So you don't necessarily have to have the answer here, but you know, one of the things that I, one of the feedbacks that I would get from, subcontractors because when i was contracted i used i had a hybrid model i had employees and i had subcontractors and it wasn't always that difficult to lull a a subcontractor away because they're used to a model where they're just not making enough money um you know that that has to be a problem that you face on the daily how how do you guys think about it if you're if you're really thinking in terms of investment you know, the, there's a, an extent to which your money has to be, you know, where your mouth is. Yeah. But there's a other piece of this where, um, they're making trade-offs because they don't have to go out and find the work. And, and I think that they understand that. Right. But are you, you know, I'm, I'm, it's a question to me in terms of compensation and benefits, what benefits are there outside of the, the money that you can provide and how do you, like, how do you, how do you guys approach that from a, just from a, a, a value standpoint? And, and like you said, they're, they're the best asset that you have because they're actually doing the work. So how do you actually invest in them? Thanks for asking that question. I think it's probably even just a, it's a hard question to ask really any contractor to, to get real with that and what that actually means inside the walls of their business. And so I'll speak to it from a Renovia standpoint, obviously, is that initially we're trying to inspire loyalty. And we can't necessarily do that from our pocketbooks, right? Like, I think um, if we try to pay a little bit more or even squeeze a little bit more, um, that's somewhat circumstantial uh, and that's probably finite as it relates to our our mindset. And so mm. first off, we're trying to inspire loyalty and we're not going to do it through a paycheck. Uh, so what does that mean? I think it's a lot of the other intangibles associated with um, how we conduct business, how we treat folks um, and and honestly, I don't really think it's that different in terms of our own, you know, uh, Renovia employees. Uh, they absolutely could go make more money elsewhere. Um, mm-hmm. they go to a different industry that could be lulled away uh, from, you know, one of our competitors and that maybe it, it could happen or it would happen or it will happen. Um, but I think if we're more focused on how we're developing them and investing in them, not just monetarily speaking, um, but the things that are truly important to them. And and until we know that and get crystal clear on that, because I think it's an evolution, I would be the first to tell you that I, I feel like we know, or I feel like we know what's most important to them as it relates to their families and the legacy that they're, le- that they're leaving 
uh, on behalf of their work ethic and the business that their businesses that they're forming. Um, but I think we're kind of on a journey there. We're, we're, we're by no means uh, on yeah. that destination point. I'd love to come yeah. back to you on that and, and maybe in a couple of months we chat again. Yeah, for sure. Um, no, I, yeah, I, I knew that it was a tough question because like I said, um, you know, I, I, when I was contracting, I talked to the contractors and they're just like, I'm, you're going to pay better. So yeah, that's the bottom line. You know? <laughs> uh, but, money, uh, but yes, yeah. money never solves problems. Um, well, no, it doesn't because yeah, it is, it is temporary because what, you know, what would happen is, is eventually they would come back for more money. Yeah. And, you know, and uh, to, to the extent that it's just like, well, now, you know, now, now where's, where's, you know, I'm not going to be able to make enough if I pay you that That's yeah. the bottom line. Um, so, so that is, that is definitely true. Um, what I like about your answer is that, uh, is that one bit of, well, we don't necessarily treat them that differently than, than employees. It's, you know, cause they're still people. And I, and I think that in our industry, there is often this debate of, you know, subcontractor versus employee and the people who are, you know, just diehards for employee model. Um, they, they tend to look at subcontractors as if they're, as if they're subhuman, as if they do, you know, they always do subpar work. They do, you know, they're sub this status level and it's, it's just not fair. It's just not, it's not right to think of another human being that way. Um, they're, in my opinion, a subcontractor is a person who want, who is striving to be a business owner. Um, yeah. they want to be the real deal. And, uh, and this is probably a bridge to get there. Um, you know, it's, it's a way to keep, keep busy and, and put food on the table while you're building your, your operations and your processes and all of that. And yeah, if you look at it like an investment in that way, I, that's, you know, it is better, but I understand that it's totally a journey. I understand that. You, you said it best too, and you've experienced it firsthand is, uh, I would argue that they're more entrepreneurial than I am. Uh, I don't, I don't own a business. Um, I'm not out making sacrifices. Um, and not necessarily sure, you know, what six months from now looks like from a financial standpoint. And so they're more risk or they're less a risk averse than maybe what I am. And mm -hmm. I think there, there's a, there's a DNA, there's a culture thing. There, there's something there Torlando, like just construction industry, um, specific that, um, it's got to change and it should change. And I think the folks that kind of see that or understand that, or can wrap their heads around it, they're, they're going to be the ones that are going to stand the test of time. And, and I can promise you this because Matt Rolfson, our president says a lot, and he's really instilled it in me is that these are micro businesses that we're investing in. And if we don't invest in them, well, they absolutely have the opportunity to go somewhere else and they will. And because that's yeah. family and they're, and they're wanting to make generational change. Yeah. Very good. Very good. So getting back to, to developing that sales team, um, in, uh, in, in, a, in another state, um, how do you, how do you recruit? How do you, how do you go in and say, Hey, you're going to be in a new territory. We haven't fully, uh, you know, it's a new development. There can't be, I mean, do you guarantee certain things? How do you, how do you get them to, to buy into essentially starting a new business? Uh, but with your company, how do you go about that? Yeah, I think there's a lot of industry connections and resources, levers that you can pull on initially when you're looking from a, a scouting talent standpoint. 
Um, and then I also think that it's been coined of like, hey, you gotta make sure you look at specific soft skills, um, right? Like that are that are correlated to a potential new hire, not necessarily industry related experience. And I would argue that they're more like human skills. It's like, do they show up on time? Are they prompt? Are they mm -hmm. vulnerable? Are they coachable? Are they authentic? Like, are they process driven? Do they take ownership? I can go on and on and on about how we kind of assess talent. Um, but one of the the playbooks from a from an interviewing standpoint that we've adopted, and we've done this now for quite some time in our interview process, it does take a little bit for folks to get through. Is a lot mm -hmm. of a lot of take. Uh, we've taken a lot from Patrick Linsoni uh, uh, through is um, the ideal team player, and so mm -hmm. it's just one of the core readings uh, that we require new teammates to have uh, read within their first ninety days, and there are three core attributes that come out of that. And it's humble, hungry, and smart. And that's, those are, those are the things that we look for in new teammates. Again, this is not earth shattering. Anyone can get this information out there. Um, mm -hmm. but Pat's written, a, written a lot of great books, um, death by meetings, the advantage, the motive, truth about employee engagement. He's got a lot of great stuff out there. And then I, I would just say that the, the ideal team player is just a great read for any business owner or any teammate that's out there that's listening. Yeah. So, uh, <clears throat> when you're hiring, when you're, when you're scouting, um, do you, are you looking for people with industry experience or are you training new? It's a nice to have. It's not a must to have. Okay. Okay. And, uh, cause, cause I'm also thinking, you know, so do when, when, when they do have that experience, um, are they coming from, having their own business and just being tired of running it all. Like what, what is that? What, are, what are, where do they, where are they at in their lives when they come to you? Yeah, that could be um, one component of it. Um, I think that as somebody that, you know, has worked for other companies prior to, um, you know, being at Renovia is that you can't always assume that the grass is going to be greener. And I think I I've heard this actually now in a few follow-ups with some new teammates that we've hired, um, is that again, outside looking in, you're like, man, can, can, can the culture really be that way? Are the people really that way? Like, is that, is that really true? Like they really mm -hmm. operate and they believe in some of those things that they say. And I see it kind of, you know, lived out every single day. I'm hearing conversations now from teammates that have been here for a few months. You're like, it's such a breath, breath of fresh air, the warmth that you receive. And so I think part, it's kind of a difficult question to answer in the sense that you don't really know until you're here and that you feel it and you kind of touch smell and experience it as a new employee. Um, and we try to be able to, I guess, position that in the marketplace from a talent recruitment and say, hey, we are different. Um, and hey, we're going to follow a different process here. And we're going to kind of go a little bit against the grain as it relates to the overall construction industry, which you can tell by our setup too, in terms of how we're, how we're, uh, you know, our departments are framed up. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, so when, when you hit a snag, which, I mean, come on, it's painting. There's more than a snag that happens. <laughs> um, <laughs> no, what you meant to say is that. That, that was probably like the understatement overspray. of the century. <laughs> you meant to say, when you, when you uh, conduct some overspray. That's <laughs> yeah. Uh, when, you, when you hit a snag, uh, how is that handled from a, a remote place? Um you're just not close to the, to the jobs being done, you know, like the, right. Uh, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, so yeah, we have communication SOPs. Um, 
and, and, and we followed that uh, from a project management standpoint. And we've also raised up uh, our crew leaders, our job site supervisors to operate and communicate in a way that, uh, like you said, it's not when, uh, or it's not if, but uh, but when we do hit a snag or there's an issue um, and, and it does happen. And uh, the thing of it is, is that we're not defined by that. And so I think it all goes back to how you've set the expectation with the customer and how you'll be communicating. It doesn't really matter if it's in Indianapolis or if it's in Tampa, Dallas, or even Louisiana for that matter, in terms of where the project is located. If you've mm -hmm. set the appropriate expectations and you've documented clearly, then you can always reference back to that. It's, you know, it's kind of the, the theory of if you have a contract and there's things that are etched in stone in that contract, now not necessarily a communication process, you can still point back to that. Not to say you want to take a client and stuff their nose you know, and yeah. hey, I told you this and you weren't listening to me when I shared this with you. It goes back to that kind of pre-construction kickoff and setting the tone um, from Jump Street. And then from there, they start to get in a consistent workflow of how we're communicating with them. And it actually mm -hmm. puts them at ease knowing that we will take care of it. And there's little steps along the way that's kind of points of affirmation for the customer. And we can quickly reference saying, hey, we knew, we knew there was going to be some things that happen. And here's how we're going to address these. And because we've got to have that addressed quickly. And that's what customers want to hear from us. And it, we may not have the appropriate fix. They just want to know that we're listening and that we've heard what they said. I mean, look, I'm a customer. I, I purchase things, right? Like and mm -hmm. I'm frustrated at times. I don't care yeah. if you don't give me an, a specific answer. I just want to know that I'm heard. It's the frustration sets in if they're not heard. And we try to mm -hmm. run to be, them being heard. That's awesome. That's awesome. Chris, what's what's one last thing that you can tell our audience if if they were to, you know, let's just imagine they're a good size commercial entity right now. They're they're still in their they're still in their primary city of location, you know, primary city, and they are uh they've scoped out a place that they want to go into. What is your last bit of advice before they pull the trigger and say we're we're going for it? Yeah, I said trust your gut and lean on your experience but i i probably would would say that while you've conducted the appropriate research and you've identified some uh, core customers that you could be growing into or even help expand your business into that specific geography i still would encourage business owners and business leaders to be um, fanatical about behaviors and i think uh, you should you should focus on the process and the behaviors associated with what leads to the outcomes that you're searching for me early on in my career i even mentioned i think i mentioned early on as we were a little running and gunning and less structured and less uh you know the sales hierarchy and that is uh, a way to create lots of volatility in a business and i'm not a process driven guy i, I love ideas i love kind of being a little all over the place um, but I've realized in my older age or my in my experience that I've got to have good processes in place. And there's no reason why you shouldn't have process and behaviors within your sales team and your sales organization if you're going to be able to scale. Awesome. Awesome. Chris, a wonderful conversation. Where where can I send people to connect with you and uh, and Renovia? I'm, I'm pretty active on LinkedIn. Um, so if folks want to shoot me a message, by all means, uh, I'm pretty responsive there. Um, you've got our website too. Um, and then I, I know I think I short shared it with you to Orlando, but if you guys want to connect with me uh, via email, it's just chall at renovia.com. 
Awesome. Thank you, Chris, so much for your time today. I've uh, really appreciated the conversation. Likewise. Thanks to Orlando. All right. There you have it, folks. Chris Hall from, from Renovia um, talking about expanding into new locations. I, again, I'll go back to, to the folks out there that have those big dreams and big aspirations and are thinking big and, and, uh, and want to achieve it. It comes back to the basics over and over and over again. Uh, it comes back to process, getting those processes in place. You've established a system that works here locally. Does it work with a leader in place? Not necessarily you. I mean, it could be you, but does, does that at least work? Do you have the process for leads, you know, for finding leads, getting them in, getting them into the hands of a salesperson, getting them into the hands of a, you know, this was a big epiphany for me that the salesperson doesn't have to be the estimator. Holy cow. Never thought about that. Honestly, I don't know why. Uh, It kind of makes sense, especially for these huge projects. So getting that, that flow into the next hand and into the project manager hand, just having those systems in place. But then he also talked about knowing your buyer, understanding your buyer. I mean, I, he mentioned that he's pretty active on LinkedIn. I'm also pretty active on LinkedIn. I talk about that a lot. I talk about understanding who you're trying to, 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 uh, to solve problems for. Uh, and then that culture piece of just making sure that you have the right people there, that they, that they're bought into the, the company culture, all those things I thought were, uh, uh, key things, you know, not, anything that you haven't heard before. If you are a reader, if you read about these things, but look what happens when they're executed, you can, you can get there. You can grow. Guy's going to double business. It's it's insane. Uh, All right. Great conversation. Really grateful to to Chris and and everybody. Thank you guys so much for listening again. If you want to get more great content uh, like from folks like Chris that, that uh, we're sharing, go to, PCAPaintEd.org and download the uh, the the PCA Overdrive app. All the episodes are there. You got other folks on PCA Overdrive, folks like Nick Slavic, Zach Kenny, um, Chris Moore. Uh, you know, there's so many good voices, smart industry people at, on PCA Overdrive. So much good content that Chad and the folks at PCA are producing. Um, free with PCA membership. for non-members. Thank you so much for listening to the show today. I'm Torlando. Paint Ed podcasts are produced by the Painting Contractors Association and is made possible by members and industry partners. To find out more about upcoming education opportunities or for more information about joining PCA, visit PCAPaintEd.org.